The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right. And it's conference finals in the NBA week two with my Wise Guy Roundtable. And it's jam packed. To my right, Steve Fezzik, perhaps the most famous sports better in the world. In front of me, Mr. Brad Powers college specialist and straight in from Europe on the Concord. No, I'm not sure about that. Steven Nover. We call him the professor and I won't overhype him except to say this. Steven Nover taught sports betting classes at UNLV. That's all I'll say. And me, RJ Bell and guys, we've got, a great show with his jam-packed Wise Guy Roundtable. We're going to be going through Fezzik's 11 through 15 best NFL teams, 11 through 15. First week, we did one through five. Second week, six through 10. Now, there was a big debate before the show. What should we do next? But logic won. Fez, you weren't so sure. What, what was the thought process? I didn't think 11 through 15 was like sexy at all. But so you were going to go like 13 through 17. I mean, you were just going to randomly. I was going to jump into this. Well, well, but we promised it last week. We're going to finish. We're going to go all the way through all 32 and then we'll do other things in the NFL. Now, does your wife say, Fezzik, you don't finish what you promise. You don't finish the job all the time and college football. Brad's going to give us his three favorite long shot college football championship Future bets. All of them are what, 30 to 1 or better? 30 to 1 or greater. Yep. Now that's good. You can start earning. And we've got Dave Essler back for baseball. He's been killing it on the dream preview. And a little bit of kind of week one recap of the legalization. We've talked about it at length. We've had now over a week and we've got a few stray observations. First, though, we're going to talk NBA, both. Eastern Conference and Western Conference. Showtime! Woo! All right, Fez, taping Tuesday night here in Las Vegas. So the Golden State Houston series is going on as we speak. The game itself. The game won't be over or even close to it by the time we're done taping. So let's face that reality. If Golden State wins, man, it's a different series. Houston loses. They're going to be writing the obituaries for Houston. So I think we've got to talk about this a little bit higher level than who wins this game. And that's probably a good thing. So at that higher level, what have you seen in this series so far? So far, I've seen Houston, frankly, just playing too slow a tempo, in my opinion. All this isolation ball. They're not the same team as they've been during the regular season. But a big part of that. Hold on now. So you're saying they're playing Houston more isolation than they did during the regular season? They always did isolation, but so when you say not the same tempo, the tempo is not there. The tempo is now. Does it feel like it's not there by choice? Yes, by design. Like they're afraid they don't want to run with Golden State. So James Harden dribble, dribble, dribble. 
dribble, 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 step back, try to get a pick, tick, tick. And if he can't get a shot off, now there's six seconds left on the shot clock. It's just been too slow compared to that offense that was clicking during the regular season. Now, it strikes me we can debate the coach for Houston. Some people think he's a great coach. I mean, literally great, an innovator. Others think maybe he was an innovator, but, you know, the time has passed him by or the other elements of coaching aren't his strong suit. But I don't think anyone's questioned Daryl Morey's acumen. Right? Do you question his acumen? No. So they must have thought this out. Now, meaning this slow pace. So are we thinking, oh, like, let's say they announced it somehow. You know, we had a plan to do this slow paced, but we're going to run and we're going to gun and we're going to go as fast as going state once. Would that make you want to bet them more in no. that next game? I'd like to see something in between, RJ. <laughs> so really what you're saying is you don't want to take it <laughs> in between. Obviously what they they're saying is we don't want to run with them. And I so think why would running with them a little bit be a good thing? Because you should evaluate each possession and see if you have the advantage. If you don't have the advantage, then you can slow it down and do this. ISO. And you don't think they're doing that? No. I, so you think they're taking Houston's taking situations that they've got a clear edge, but just for the bet, almost like if they had money on the under, just for the benefit of slowing the game down, they're they're saying you keep that advantage. I'm going to pass on it, and we're going to take a shot with four seconds left. That's a lot worse than one we could get with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. I think it's more a case of it's unclear whether they have an advantage, and Harden's just not pushing the ball when he's crossing half court to even evaluate whether this is going to turn into a favorable shot. Do you think they might have gotten spooked in game one? Because it seemed like they tried to run with Golden State, and Golden State just devastated with their transition game and just destroyed them. So maybe they feel, geez, after that, you know, we just uh, we can't do it with them. You know, I think Steven's got a good point there. My approach was if Houston can take the momentum and psychologically – get off the their backs the idea that they can't beat this Golden State team, that they belong on a different court or they don't belong in the same court, then I was going to bet Houston because I feel like the public's just too in love with Golden State. When it comes to Curry's health, where where's your head at before game four, Fez? I'm going to play contrarian. The media is saying that he's always oh, fully back. He's 100%, but he had four days off. He had a big break before game three, and then he looked great, no doubt able to drive to the hole, but now RJ, the rest of the series, they take, they play, they take one night off. They play the next night all the way through. I think game three may well have been an aberration with those four days of rest. Pregame.com, the dream preview moving to the East Boston, Cleveland. All right, Fez. RJ, can I just interject one thing because of this four day rest thing? If you look at Houston, they have a tremendous record on one day's rest. And their scoring is like 115 points off the top of my head. That's what they average with one day rest. And when it's not, it's like 105 points. So there's a huge difference. So now I believe the rest of the series, there is going to be that one day difference. They're, somehow they get in the flow. That's their normal pattern. They like it. Okay. That so way. what you're saying, 
Professor Nover is exactly one day rest. Yes. Right, it's not one or more. Not so in that one case. One day rest, which is the normal, kind of the norm. Okay, that's and, uh, interesting. So the theory is okay, back to back's a negative regard and not that that's applicable in the playoffs, but during the regular season, hey, if you're back to back, you're gonna suffer. Unless you're playing another team, it's back to back. But if you have two or more days rest, you gain the benefits of the rest, but potentially a little bit of rust. And you and some teams are more prone to rust than others. They're a very rhythm team. Okay, that's interesting. Very rhythm. That's a good point. You know, we'll give Steven first time he ever earned it, but I, I hadn't heard that one. I don't think I want to earn any more for hearing that. Oh, my. You're not a Roy Overson fan. <laughs> well, pretty you woman. Think, you, you, know, think that's, so, uh, you think someone moving towards her 70s would like Roy oh, Overson. Oh, man. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> that really hurts. Uh, oh. Uh, I mean, yeah. you don't have a Drake on your uh, on your. Uh, your yeah, your, I, your, I don't. Hold on. Your Sony Walkman, do you? No. <laughs> All I know of Drake, wasn't he a pirate? You know, I just... Uh, Uh-oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There we go. Bananas. See, Fez, you're not the only one that gets that now. What's the movie that they kept saying, I love the Drake Hotel? <laughs> love the Drake. Oh, my God. Do we got to play that again? <laughs> <laughs> the Drake Hotel? Or are you thinking of Seinfeld when they love the Drake? Love that Seinfeld. Love the Drake. That's Seinfeld. You know we don't add it, but I guys, I apologize. Moving on, taking control of the pod. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) (laughs) Boston, Cleveland. Number one, fast. Number one takeaway: home team dominance. The home teams are now for the Boston Celtics throughout the playoffs. Fifteen and one straight up. 14-2 14-2 and two against the spread, purely playing the home team in any Boston Celtics playoff game. So play on them in Boston, play against them on the road. Because on one hand, we could say we had 82 games in which Boston showed themselves to be a, a really good road team relative to their home performance. And now we've got 16 playoff games for them that's showing the opposite. What do you trust? Or is there a reason it's changed? I think there's a reason it's changed. Obviously, not having Kyrie Irving, this team has gotten even younger. And these guys Mm. are so young, Brown and Tatum, that they just, it seems like the great coaching edge they have in Stevens is mitigated on the road. Example, end of a quarter. Well, hold, hold on a second. He actually was on a good track. But he figures whenever it's almost like in your mind, Fezzik, when you start making sense, that's where you decide to turn left. (laughs) Like you'll keep going on that straight line when it's making no sense. But then the minute you actually start like, oh, I'm starting to hear where he's going from, you decide to shift gears. What does coaching edge and youth have to do with anything? They're they're unrelated, right? Yes. So why would you be halfway through talking about their youth and then just take a hard right into coaching? Forget the coaching. The youth <laughs> is not responding well to these hostile crowds. They're making very bad game decisions. And I think that's NBA 101 is players – who can play well on the road are much rarer than players that can play well at home. And Barkley and those guys on TNT talk about it all the time is the bench or the, you know, seventh, eighth guys, even the sixth guy can oftentimes be great at home and not 
close to great on the road. So as much potential as these Celtics players have, they're young, they're inexperienced, especially in the playoffs. So the idea of a combination of just general young players on the road combined with they, they because they're more emotional as young players, these young Celtic players are feeding off the crowd, maybe more. Boston crowd's one of the better crowds. It feels like there's, and, and then the opponent's crowd's going to be more worked up too because it's the playoffs. So it seems like the susceptibility to not playing as well on the road and the benefit of playing at home just gets amplified in the playoffs, I think, in general, but I think even more for young players. Yes, and you're seeing guys like Scary Terry Rozier that just seems to absolutely thrive off of that home environment. And then on the road, it's like, oh, my God, what is he doing? And even Brad Stevens, whenever I hear him being interviewed about what went wrong this quarter on the road, he's like, we're making bad decisions. He says that over and over and over like they're not following the game plan. What do you think, Professor Nover? Well, it, I think it's they had a good good road record you know, during the season. They, uh, they go up 2-0. They win their first two home games. They, they go to Cleveland and... Uh, there, there is a little overconfidence. Uh, and, really? Yeah. And, oh, I don't think so. Overconfidence? Well, I shouldn't maybe say overconfidence, but just uh, they're not as intense as Cleveland. And uh, you well, know, that's well, part of the three. zigzag thing. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, and they got blown out. So now we go to, to game four. And that point spread wise, it could have gone either way. I, I thought they really, yeah, the, but if you most look of at- the calls went against them. You know, if they would have covered the spread, maybe we're not quite so in-depth with this conversation then because then they get a point spread split in Cleveland. But if you say I've never seen this stat and if it's out there, I'd be interested to hear about it at RJ in Vegas is at some point, maybe from halftime on, if you say what was the margin at each minute mark and then did the average, you could say, Oh, because obviously waiting to the second half would make sense in that, well, what's the margin going to be in minute one, right? It's going to be small, so it's going to skew it. But once you have enough time to gain some margin is what was the average lead for Cleveland? And to me, the average lead was way significantly over the spread. You know, that is a great point, RJ, because in terms of final scores, the entire second half almost pretty much Cleveland was ahead by eh, 12 to 14. The end game line was right around 12 to 13. So that was the prediction the whole way. I think if you're going to throw 90 seconds of randomness out, it would be the last 90 seconds. The game's been decided and somehow Boston gets it down to nine. That was kind of the nadir, the, the lowest lead of the second half aberration. I mean, it's like in a way it's like a poker game. Now, if, if it's a close basketball game, this isn't the case because in a close game at the end, they're shooting threes and doing a bunch of things around the score or not shooting threes, filing, whatever. But if you got a double digit lead, that game could go, let's say if you have a 20 point lead entering the fourth, it could go two more minutes. It could go 12 more minutes. It could go 20, you know, 24 more minutes. And the theory is, there's going to be ebbs and flows. Now, eventually, if you play long enough, maybe Boston could come back and win the game. But when I said like a poker game, people obsess over, I want to book a winning session. I want to book a winning session. And Fez, you are the type of guy that doesn't fall prey to this. Typically, but I'm guessing even you at poker, you'll have times that you're down 
you know, 70 bucks or something. So an immaterial amount considering the limit you're playing, but you might stay for one more loop thinking, Hey, if I just can get, you know, one high pair, collect a couple, you know, get uh re-raise and now I'm going to leave here up 120 and boy, that can get me a couple nice buffets. Like it just in your mind, it's weird because when you gamble, typically if you gamble at even a little bit higher limits, you don't think about how much money you're putting in the pot or betting in sports in regards to what that could buy. So, you know, for a long time I was playing five ten limit or I'm sorry, five ten no limit at the Bellagio mostly, or there was a game at the Suncoast I was playing. It was two five ten on a straddle for a long time. And, you know, I was making $1,200 bets, $1,200 calls, right? I mean, not every hand, but you know, once an hour, you're at least doing a $600 better call. So if I think about what 600 can buy you, it's like, oh my gosh, right? There's one turn card. It's a flush or not a flush, and it's a $4,000 pot. I mean, you know, think about working for four. Th- and again, obviously, people that work at McDonald's or whatever are working very hard for their money. But you do the math after taxes, and you think to yourself, okay, so 50 bucks a day, so 20 days is 1000 th- All right, so 80 days of work is on this turn card if you were working you know, high, you know, a job that, you know, most people did in high school and, and others work hard and continue doing it later. I don't think like that. Right. But when you're close to being up or down in a, in a poker session, you tend to think, oh, if I can just get up a hundred, I can feel like I did something here. Do you fall prey to that? I have. And I do it in sports too. If I'm down $300, for instance, I'm almost break even. I got this bet. You know, I wasn't going to make this bet. It's the last game. It's halftime. You know what? Now, this isn't the stuff you're releasing, but you're talking in game yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm going to put one more nickel live on the Celtics here so um, I can turn a profit for the day. I'm, you know, I shouldn't do it, but I've been known to do it. And even so. I'm already a multi-millionaire. And still, and still, Fezzik, Steve Fezzik's his name. You're not a professor. I'm not a professor. <laughs> he was going to go, but I do go to Northwestern my, and get an actuary degree. My my mother was, <laughs> my mom was a former finance professor. There you go. There you go. <laughs> By the way, I bet you guys didn't know that. Uh, over, in, the mic, in the mic, Steve. It's a new over, thing. Over, <laughs> overseas, in, in Europe, uh, working at McDonald's is very prestigious. Because of the the financial side of it or just uh, they, for some reason? No, yeah, they pay better there for McDonald's workers. They're very educated and, uh, you know, they speak multiple languages. It's considered a very good job to have. You know, it's called the Grand Royale. Oh, wait, what is that? <laughs> you can get some weird With things cheese. there. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, All right. The, it, jetting in. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to zoom over with Mick and Stones. <laughs> Remember at the end, Spicoli, when he's in his dream of his surfing? And you guys are invited. <laughs> all right. So to bring it all back around, the point I'm making is there's going to be an ebb and flow unless there's endgame situations to a blowout. And like you said, you used the word Nadar. It swung down at that point. I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that the Boston was dominated in that game. And and because of that, there's two games they were dominating. Now, I do agree with Nova on one thing. 
a, gr- a good team, a team with high confidence, a team that doesn't want to be embarrassed, down 0-2 playing game three at home, that zigzag effect, the idea that if it goes one way, one game, it's going to go zig. It's going to zag the other way, the other game. And we've talked about this at length. Why? Because of uh, extra motivation for the team that needs to win the next game and a little bit of laxness from the team that doesn't. And also the idea that the team that won is probably not going to change too much. Hey, we won, right? Why change anything? And the other team is going to say, well, we can't stand pat. And typically that urgency of having to make a change tends to help the team that has to make the change. But Nova, we were talking about this before the show you know, all zigzags are not created equal. And you felt like game three was one of the real, if not the number one zigzag spot favoring Cleveland, the entire playoff so far. I I thought it really was a contrast. I thought the handicap at plus six and a half in game three with Boston, there was some real value there, uh, at least in my mind. I didn't think it should have been that high of a number, but you had that classic zigzag, you know, of all the, reasons that you articulated very well why uh, Cleveland needed to win that game. I I went with Boston, and part of that, though, why I went against the zigzag was the co- coaching mismatch. I regard Brad Stevens as the best coach in the NBA or second best coach. You know, I happen to like Greg Pop- Popovich a lot, too. And I regard Tyron Lewis like a bottom five coach. So I figured that would negate some of that zigzag. But uh, as we saw... Cleveland blew him out. So from now on, I just think you either have to go with the zigzag or don't play the game. Don't try to Einstein it. You know, say, hey, there's value here. That, that damn zigzag, it's going to hold up most of the time. You're going to pay a tax, but it's it's going to hold up. Well, see, I disagree with that. And, and it's so funny because every pro, and this is just my opinion, right? I'm not, obviously, to some degree, my job is to judge the pros, but I, I certainly don't feel superior to the pros. If anything, we get specialists in, and one of the things you're going to find out about Nova is the uh, no one knows the it's it's not quite like Brad in college, but the depth of knowledge in the NFL uh, and and Stephen will get a chance throughout the spring or as we move to summer here to talk about this some. But you were in some of the f- first rotisserie slash. You know, fantasy stuff here in Vegas. What year did you start playing the fantasy stuff? Well, with uh, fantasy football, it was uh, back in the um, no, mid nineties. Okay, and and the baseball, baseball a little before that. Um, or, or well, I'd done some kind of fantasy going back to the eighties. Yeah, and you guys, there, were, there was a bunch of well, this is before I even moved to Vegas, but there were in '98 is when I moved. Is a bunch of bookmakers and stuff. You guys all had. I, a pretty I, I high... wasn't in that league. That was oh. a real high end league with those guys. There's some classic stories with those guys, but no, I was not in that league. But the play at the player level is something you focus on in the NFL. Yes. yes. So everyone's got their specialties, areas of expertise. Fez, you're not a player guy for the most part. In the NFL, you are more right, but not in other sports as much. I think Steven is, and, and I say this with a smile, but you might even agree, you're kind of nitty, to use a poker term. Do you, uh, Steve, do you want to tell the story, or should I, about the one time you got in a, a rotisserie league with me, and this was a basketball league? You can tell it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we save this one. All right. We it's can it's, t- a, it's I mean, a pretty good story. It's a pretty good yeah, one? Yeah. How long is it? 
It's a short one. I go. Okay. Steve is not a rotisserie player, His, um, but we got him in one league once. This was an NBA rotisserie league. And um, Steve has many strengths, but, you know, he doesn't quite have the, the the deep player knowledge. And this was a deep, you know, we're going 15 on a, on a team, you know, with 10, 12 owners. We got to the got to the end there, and we're playing the dollar end game. And it's just kind of an unwritten thing. If you bring up a dollar player, you know, you don't step on the other guy. You know, this is his player. I brought up a dollar guy, some obscure guy I was really secretly high on, you know, and bidding's going, okay, going $1, going once, going twice. And right, Steve jumps in right at the end, goes two. And I said, God damn it, Fez, you never even heard of this guy, you know, and you just did it just to step on me. It was the Dallas Mavericks backup point guard, right? <laughs> I think it was Carlos Arroyo. Uh, Carlos Arroyo, yeah. yeah. It, it was Carlos Arroyo. And, <laughs> and my, my take was, it was almost like a poker player acting meek. The way you said... Carlos uh, Aro, you even like mispronounced it. It was like, it yeah. was like he's got aces. Yeah. Arroyo is aces. Yeah. I, I want Arroyo. Yeah, and I got so mad because I knew Steve wasn't on this guy. He probably never heard of him, you know, and all that. He so just jumped on my You should have been mad at yourself for giving it away like I, you did. I, I had to bring up a player, you know. So how did it, think. first of all, when was this? Oh, long time 2003. ago. 2003. <laughs> so, so literally you guys remember the player, you remember oh, yeah. the scenario. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Fez, all you did was you just read over. You didn't need to, you didn't need to know the player. We got into a bidding war a little bit. He didn't want to let him go, and finally let him let him go for like eight bucks or something. <laughs> I'm the dirtiest player in the game. <laughs> I mean, if Fezzik's in it, you got to be worried. I mean, he's got some angle. That's all you need to know. That's it. But back to Steven. Somehow he was trying to divert from him. We, are you familiar with the term nit? No. Nit. No. Fez, explain, define nit. A nit only puts his money in in a poker game when he's got the stone cold nuts. Well, yeah, I agree with that. But also the type that if they, you know, in a weird way, if like someone's trying to beat them for the blind, they can get mad that someone's beating them for the blind. Like if the small blind won't chop or something in a one, two game, they'll get mad and, 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 what, and maybe not really defend it, but they'll get all pissed off because someone just took their dollar for, or the two bucks from them. Right. Yeah. It's nitty. Yeah. Is Steven has the knowledge, like more knowledge, I think than a lot of sports betters that are betting five, 10,000 a game. And, but he's never bet that much. You've always been a real grinder. And I think you emotionally get affected by losses probably in the top 10% of guys who have professional betting, that level of knowledge. Would you agree with that? Oh, I agree strongly. And one thing I've screamed at Steven before is he'll play in a poker tournament with the world's biggest donkeys and his ace king will get sucked out by ace queen. And there's a rebuy option and he'll just steam out of there, get in his car and drive home. I'm like, why aren't you rebuying? And he'll say, I'll play next week. No, I I think you have to set limits. This is all, this is the most I'm going to lose is my $40. and, And plus I'm on tilt. You know, how well, can which I even that's play? a good point, you know? right? If he's a computer, yeah. but, but, but so this is what's great about the dream preview. Everyone has their strengths. I mean, Mackie, we're still figuring it all out, but he's here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a joke. It's good to he's see that there is a real Mackie. Oh, you know, you thought, I, I didn't know if that was a ghost or that's, but, but we don't do a, ghosts. No, I know. I so mean, it's good to see there's a real site. Yeah. We never, we never do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I, well, that is one great, and you know this, that is one of the great things at pregame.com that we do is everyone who sells picks, everybody, 
pregame.com. I love that. Has they filled out a form that talks about here's my real name? Because even if you use a screen name, right, which people on the internet use screen names, here's the real name, here's my history with um, any legal travel, and not only any potential felonies, but any misdemeanors that had to do with any financial malfeasance. Even if it was a misdemeanor, you had to report it. And of all our pros, we had one guy, unfortunately, that many years ago had a uh, DUI that was a actually a felony DUI. So obviously that's not a good thing, but he paid the price for that. But otherwise, not any legal issues. And everyone gave their name. Now, we did have some guys that didn't want to give their name and they left over it. So... I wonder what was going on there. <laughs> Probably doesn't take much to figure that one out. But yeah, with the idea in, in Nova, I think you're bringing up a, uh, a true point is there's sites where there's multiple people selling picks that don't even exist. You know, I'm not going to name names, but there was one site. They literally, they started with a soccer <laughs> expert and they, and they actually cut it out. I think of a Sears, like a, uh, Sears catalog from Mexico. Like this yeah. dude looked like he was a model. I think and, we all. I think we all know what site we're talking well, about. No. They're bringing in their friends, you know, for their pictures and things. But whatever and, it is, yeah. is uh, to me. And we're going to talk at the end of the show about where the legalization seems to be going. At least the general directional side of it after a week. But here's what I know. If you're not ready for the bright, bright lights, time to step aside. Because if you do get lucky enough to get on television, to get a national radio show, whatever, you're going to get the scrutiny. I can speak from experience. And there was a lot of decisions I made over many years that weren't financially the best decision in the moment. But our ambitions, my ambitions, were enough that I didn't want to take that myopic short-term money, myopically considering it then because I knew one day it'd be a day of the bright lights. And the fact that we've stood that scrutiny at pregame and myself in a wonderful way and really all, all of our pros that are left, um, I think is a, is a great testament. But back to Steven again, do you feel like the emotional way that you take losses, even, you know, modest figures do you think that clouds your thinking almost like being on tilt clouds your thinking in poker it, it doesn't cloud my thinking it doesn't cloud my handicapping but it it, it clouds my thinking about units to, to wager so you get conservative i for instance i i'm on a losing streak right now and uh, i haven't put out a triple star in days but, I, i'm on a but losing that's a, streak that's a good that's, i think anyone following you is going to appreciate that because you don't you're not seeing it I mean, there is a psychological element to handicapping if you, unless you're doing pure algorithm, which that's a different story. No pick seller I know is going pure algorithm. So, and the computer's going to spit it out and you're just going to be okay. You know, in theory, you got to trust the computer, but emotionally, if you feel like you're not seeing it, how's, how can you be all that confident? I think a big differentiation has to be, Hey, am I not seeing it in that my handicap was wrong or am I just running bad and I'm losing my end games? There's a big difference. And then there's another side of that, which is, are you making excuses? All the lucky games you win, are you just saying, oh, yeah, of course, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then the lucky games you lose, it's like, see, if I would have won that one and two others, I'd be almost even. Right? So it goes both ways there, too. It does. But last thing, Stephen, 
I think saying you got to like you can never go against the zigzag. That's strong. Well, it's probably just because I'm coming off exactly. this <laughs> So two days ago. I'll probably ago. do it again, you know, and I'll probably lose. Two days know? ago, you were willing to, or a week ago, you were willing to go against the zigzag. But now, yeah. you're never going to go against the zigzag. I lost until, that one bet. Until next yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> so if I would have got a suck out, I would have said, hey, let's always go against the zigzag, you know. That's, but I'll tell you this, dude. This is going to be so healthy for you because, again, it's going to be very obvious the depth of your knowledge. And well, it's just good to be here to vent. Well, well no, <laughs> to frustrate you're, you're not going to enjoy that too much. Tell stories with Fez, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but the but the fact of the matter is, is as some of all of our weaknesses expose themselves, that's that's how you get better, right? Is I want to be a better handicapper. I want to be better at everything I do in th- you know three years from now, a year from now, thirteen years from now. And how do you do that? Right, the the scientific method. And this is something that in Silicon Valley, that the lean startup methodology is just the idea of you have a hypothesis, right? Which is a fancy word for saying you think something's the case. You test it. Then you see, then you assess it or you analytically grade it. However, let's use shooting a free throw for an example. Okay. The hypothesis is that this motion with this much oomph is going to make it. If I line up straight, whatever. Okay. Now, we've all seen guys in the NBA that are shooting bad free throws start trying it left-handed. They try it under. It's the theory is, I got to do something different. But you've got that typical hypothesis at the beginning. You shoot, so the act of doing it is step two. The act of measuring the result is visual. Did you make it or not? And then you adjust. So if you clang off the back iron, if you don't move your feet, if someone hands you a ball and you can shoot again, your odds of making it are so much better than if you back away and come back because you're like, do the exact same thing just with a little less oomph, right? Well, all of business or most of business, I think, and most of life, most of betting is about that. You handicapped a game. You had certain assumptions. You The action was making a pick, making a bet slash pick. And then the result was the game played. And thus it was measured. And then you said, huh, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Now, if you could do that perfectly, well, go ahead. I, again, the, the perfect example is this game three with the uh, Celtics and the Cavaliers. I thought I gave a really good analysis. I was pleased with my write-up on my analysis of the game pointing to the Celtics. It couldn't beat the circumstances. Now, now, maybe that's on me. I should have realized the circumstances or, better. Or realize that the best you can do is 55% and that that means you're going to lose 45 out of 100 times. <laughs> right? Again, the, the, the mental thing, going into this finals, both uh, conferences finals, I was on a 15-3 and three run with the NBA. Yeah, I'd won some lucky games, so maybe I was due some bad breaks. But those first two games, I had the totals and the two wrong totals that both should have won. They were handicapped right. They both should have won. I lost them, and it just put me in a real mental funk. And now I'm on this losing streak. <laughs> I just think I was handicapping, but it just... Uh... All right, now I got to listen to some music right there to be... You got anything else you want to share with us? No. I, <laughs> I want to ask Stephen one question. You probably loved the under in game three in Houston-Golden State, but because you'd played the under and gotten burned... In games one and two, you pass game three. No, what happened was I did pass game three. I liked the Warriors, 
but I felt I was so embarrassed with that uh, Celtics pick. I couldn't turn around the next day and put out the Warriors, even though I liked it. Of course, that would have ended my streak because they easily covered. So for those listening, when Steven's hot, jump on board. When he's not, I, I run. Hint, hint, I wouldn't. Well, and, but, but, but the beauty is he's self-aware enough to adjust his units accordingly. And also, I think it's going to be a heck of a journey to see, you know, the way his um, evolution goes. Because I can promise you it's hard to sit in a room with as sharp as the guys and, and not even speaking about myself that we've got here without everyone learning from everybody. And obviously our goal is to help you learn also. Pregame.com, RJ Bell, moving to the NFL. All right, Fez. 11 through 15, let's go reverse order. So first, quickly, give us a, in fact, I'll do the rundown. Hand me that sheet there, Brad. Let's go one through 10 real quick here. Number 10, San Francisco. Nine, Jacksonville. Eight, Green Bay. Seven, Atlanta. Six, New Orleans. Five, Pittsburgh. Four, Rams. Three, Minnesota. Two, Philadelphia. One, New England. Now, we're going to do a 11 through 15, as we said. But then right after, Nova, specialist in the NFL, is going to give the one team he thinks Fez has too highly rated in the top 10 and the one team he thinks he has too low underrated. That's coming up in a few minutes. Fez, number 15. Number 15, Baltimore Ravens. You know, I have concerns about how this taking Lamar Jackson in the first round is going to play out. We talked about the Steelers and how we were worried about the attitude of the team if they had taken a quarterback early. What was their divisional rival? The Ravens that did it. Is this going to help Flacco? Is it going to hurt him going forward this year? I'm really not sure what the team's so what's a scenario? What's the scenario that helps Flacco? Motivates him. So you think that this guy who's had one or still one of the biggest contracts in the NFL was just kind of going with the flow? Fez, he sucks. <laughs> Flacco is horrible. I mean, you could try to spin this and twist it. The bottom line is the guy is a horrible quarterback. He's a bottom five quarterback. And bottom five? He's yeah. not bottom five. Bottom five. I, 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 bottom I can't stand the guy. Can't stand the guy. I think he's horrible. Did he did he lose a game for you a couple years ago? Well, he's lost many games. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but beside the point, he's horrible. If he didn't have he just, gets worse and worse. He, he got in that hot run, you know, in that Super Bowl a few uh-huh. years ago, and he made a fortune with his contract. He hasn't been good since. He gets worse every year. If he didn't have Tucker kicking for him, he just would not be winning all these close games, would he? And I'll tell you this is I think his lumbering physical uh <laughs> I mean, I guess by definition, if you're talking about someone's body, it's physical. But just the way he his physicality is the type that seems to suffer with age more than the average quarterback. Now, I would have thought the same thing about about Big Ben, but in a way, Big Ben just feels more athletic. Like those, you could see Big Ben like if if Flacco was playing basketball against someone his own size. He'd be one of those guys that was always on the low block. Yep. And he, he would only have two moves. Barely moved. Yeah, yeah, only had two moves. And he would be effective if he could out-physical the other guy. But you could see Big Ben, you know, uh, doing being like Barkley on the court. You know, a guy that was big and down low, but also doing a lot of other things. Um, it feels like the injuries and the age have 
been a drag on Flacco mo- more than most quarterbacks his you know relatively young age. I agree, and I could see this team if they're not contending for the playoffs, they could really free fall in my ratings. You just got to wonder, and I think Harbaugh is a top ten coach. Does anyone disagree? I mean, somewhere between. Seven and ten. I, I like Harbaugh, but I don't think it has. You know, yeah, he's getting worse as he ages, but he's he was, Flacco was never that good to start with. He yeah, had that but, hot run in the playoffs. But if that's you were all he's it, ever done. Listen, as a Steeler fan, I probably have watched Flacco closely more than any quarterback other than Big Ben. RJ, the games but, are all. We all watch the games. You know what? Say it again. I say we watch the games. We all watch the games every well, Sunday. First off, so. you don't all watch. You certainly don't all watch, or everyone doesn't watch every game, and certainly everyone doesn't watch every game closely. They don't? Well, I, I think most people don't. Okay, but by definition, you can't watch multiple games at once, right? So you're I watching. Tried, the re- you know, well, but then you're not watching each one closely. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, okay. I have to go to the sports book to do that. And, uh, well, but you can't watch multiple games closely. If I'm putting 100% attention yeah. in one game and you're watching three, who do you think is watching then that well, one game why, more close? That's why, because my neck is so screwed up, I try. Uh, uh, you try, yeah. but fail. That keeps one in the chamber in case you ponder it. But <laughs> I appreciate you have, you know, you, you're being forthright with your opinion, even when it's wrong. But <laughs> when, I, when I watch closely with Flacco, I would make the case, and Fez, you can tell me if you agree, during the, let's say, three years leading up to the Super Bowl, so Super Bowl year, year before, year before. I would say Flacco was between the ninth and twelfth best quarterback in the league. Yeah, good quarterback, mobile. Yeah. Do some stuff. Mobile. Uh, Brad, I, you're gonna have to jump in here. Look, let's listen to what they're saying, you know. Are you gonna just stand here and let them say all this miss uh, wrong? I never used the word mobile with uh, Yeah, thank Flacco. you. Thank I think you. for That's I think good. for his size, I tell you this, if you would say during those three years Cut me up a tape with every play in which it was a broken play. Quarterback started moving. So at this point, the, the receivers are have run their patterns. It's a broken play. And say 30-yard-plus completions. Flacco would have been in the top five. Huh. I strongly feel. And I'm going, this is, this is not a stat I have in front of me. You're going to have to play some music on you then. How so? Like, is there, let's see, is there... Uh, let, yeah, I'll I'll do something for you, Steve. Brad, look so at hold, hold on, I'll, rush yards. I'll, I'll do something for you. Hold on. There's the music. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Okay. We got a stacked deck here, Fez. This is uh, what RJ's holding my, all the cards. My, my, my massive IQ advantage. <laughs> yes, that's just the way it is. <laughs> Does anyone question? What I'm saying, Brad, let, let's use you as a impartial, you know, guy. Now, don't who, be intimidated, Brad, just because he's well, the boss. You know, he's saying a lot of misinformation. <laughs> the boss about can Black be right. Here. The boss can be you know, right too. A, I, I know, I know. You kind of got proletariat type <laughs> leanings, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you know, we're not going to judge that necessarily. Certainly, he can present a bill for such services. After all, we are not communists. <laughs> well, except for Stephen, perhaps, but. Faz, what do you think about? Well, you explain what you meant by mobile. I thought that when Flacco came in the league, that he was a guy that could throw the ball, and he went. He was run. I thought he ran quite a bit in college. It could so be are wrong. you talking about running the ball for like first downs? Yeah, and stuff? yeah. And then he slowly evolved into you know the typical 
Big Ben type of quarterback. See, to me, well, first off, Big Ben was always more mobile than Flacco. Do you think the no, big, now current Big Ben? Okay, but <laughs> so do you think Flacco was ever more mobile than Big Ben in, in any given year where they both were competing? Like in that year, 2011, who was more mobile? 2013. I would have put him in the same category. Maybe it sounds like I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't agree with that. But I think the whole idea, and again, to some degree, this isn't the point, right? He is what he is now. But for me to put a bow on it, but anyone can respond after this gladly, is I don't think mobility with a quarterback is about running it. I mean, obviously with an Aaron Rodgers, and and Stephen follows the Packers as, you know, more, as closely, not more than any team, but he watches all teams, so I, I guess I shouldn't say that. But... <laughs> well, a, a wow. good word is escapability. Oh, I think that's okay. fair. I, think I mean, Big fair. Ben is not mobile, but he has that escapability. He's hard to sack. Well, I tell you this: it, when, in Big Ben, let's say pre—I don't know where the breakoff point was, but let's say 2013 or before. If it's third and seven, and someone has to run, of all quarterbacks that you wouldn't have said were running, you know, obviously, um, you know, a running quarterback like RG three or whatever you would take to run on a third and seven, but I would have put Ben in the top five or seven Easily. in the league. Easily. Yeah. And, but then obviously as he's gotten older, that's not the case. I've always, but I, I agree with you with Flacco. I, I think the escapability, especially with his arm, his ability to throw going the wrong direction or cross field made him very dangerous. And I mean, there was multiple. And again, maybe this is like the the confirmation bias we have of the things that we remember more clearly. But big, but uh, Flacco made some big throws and tough. Like you wouldn't expect he could even get the ball there against the Steelers over the years. That and maybe it was because those two defenses were so good that the only play that could really work was like those busted type plays because. There were years the Ravens, and before the pass coverage changed, you know, I keep saying this, and the years keep going by, but if you watch the 2010 AFC Championship game, Pittsburgh against Baltimore, and that's when Steelers went on to play Green Bay and lost in the Super Bowl, that was the hardest hit game, and I've been watching football, let's say, where I've been cognizant since I was eight, let's call it, so 78, Hardest hit game, hitting game I've ever seen. Like they talk about that Bengals Steelers game last year. It, that was 30% less hitting. And those defenses pre the rule changes were tough. And it took a busted play. It took a Santonio Holmes type punt return to score in those games. And Flacco, I think, is built for those broken plays. As he's gotten older, maybe not as much. But all right. So. Assuming Flacco's not very good, and we can debate how good he is now, and we have, is what do you like about Baltimore? Is it just coaching, defense? What What is it? Really like their coach. Really like their ability to win close games with the best kicker in the league. Now, Football Outsiders kind of has kicking and special teams in almost all cases being random. That year to year, you can't really project it. Do you? How many kickers do you think are true difference makers? Count them on one hand, and Justin Tucker's number one. The guy's just—he's a freak. He's an animal. He's—he he's, has been number one. There's nothing random about that. He is the best kicker year after year. So you figure going into this season, he will be the best kicker again. Now, do you agree with Football Outsider, Stephen, that 
other than a handful. And I don't know if Football Outsiders really even makes that exception. But other than a handful of kickers, do you feel like it's pretty random year to year? Yes. Okay. Look what Greg Zerline did before he got hurt. And, you know, again, for a, a fantasy football example, he was like a, a bottom three kicker taken. And he was, you know, leading the, the NFL in you know, kickers and points till he got hurt. He was having a miraculous season. Never had a year like that. And it just seems, you know, each year, just look at who leads the league in scoring among kickers. It's usually somebody different every year. Gutowski yeah. is there and Tucker are there. But aside from those two, it's pretty, it's pretty random. And plus, even with individuals, they can miss one kick. And we use the call that Vanderjack as an example, and the whole career changes off of one kick. Blair Walsh, I mean, was one of the most accurate kickers in the history of college football. All of a sudden, he goes to the pros and can't make a kick. Yeah, but some some of that, though, correct me if I'm wrong, kicking in college and kicking in the pros is just a different. I mean, if it's a speed where you got to get the ball higher, you've got to, uh, you can't, if you're a little, even a tenth of a second slow. It's a problem in pros, but not in college. Plus, the 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 spotlights are brighter. Like, I I would, I mean, listen, we've all seen what team was it? I'm having a metal block. They kicked the that picked the kicker really early. Yeah, Tampa Bay with Tam- a whale. Yeah. I, I think was it a second round or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why they don't take kickers that high. That's but the theory example. was he was a great, yeah. you know, great college the, kicker, the, right? RJ, so, the the greatest college kicker of all time. This is going back to the late seventies. <laughs> Was um, no, I'm around then. Um, oh, well, we know. All right, you don't need that. You don't need to add to that. Um, was Russell Erksleben of Texas? Russell Erksleben. Yeah, yeah. I probably Wasn't mis- he Texas A and M. Texas. I, I'm mispronouncing his name. No, Russell Erksleben. Yeah, I did I pronounce it right? Yeah. And he was a great dual kicker, both place kicker and punter. And I was working for a newspaper in Wisconsin, and I went and interviewed Bart Starr, who was the Packers coach at the time. <laughs> And um, I, I said to him, I, I Is guess this I was a true story. How can I make this up? <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 I went to interview Bard Starr. Yeah, I had a one on one. Yeah. And um, I uh, I was a, I was showing I was, you know, a young reporter. So I was showing my bias because I was a Packer fan. I said, Bart, you got to take this guy in the first round. And I was really talking him up. I thought he was going to be the greatest kicker in the history of the NFL and, and Bart said to me, he says, what, what is this guy, your cousin or relative or something? I said, no, I really thought he'd be but great. First off, he was a bust. He was horrible. But first off, you were going into the coach telling him who he yes. should draft. Well, this was off As a season. journalist. This was an off season. <laughs> I wasn't much of a journalist back then. I was just learning. And, uh, you know, I was very early in my journalism career. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a one-on-one. I, I drove up there to Green Bay and... Uh, and just a, a, a note about Bart Starr, he, um, I had forgotten my razor. You know, I'd stayed overnight and I, you know, I had this beard and I looked awful. And Bart comes out there and he had just worked out and the guy's immaculately dressed and everything. He apologizes for his appearance. I said, your appearance, look at me. Was, I think he was trolling you. Yeah. <laughs> even, even before trolling. But see, RJ, where else can you get these kind of stories, you know? Well, I can so, promise you this. I'm going to pull out the following drop. Well, I was in interviewing Bart Starr. Yeah. <laughs> We've got one for for Steven. Yeah, we got. I've already got it written down yeah. when yeah. when to pull that baby. Yeah. <laughs> all right, interesting stuff. So what do we have to? All right, so we talked kickers, handful special teams. All right, number fourteen. <laughs> Boy, the Ravens sure drew a lot of blood, yeah, didn't they, Steve? Blood. Number fourteen, and this one has my biggest uncertainty rating associated with it because. I've kind of put them on a range of how good they're going to be Houston. 
and they could be a whole lot better. I can't assume Watson coming back at quarterback is going to be 100% or close to 100%. If he is, they're going to move into the top 10 real fast, provided that their key guys on defense that got hurt, like Merciless, like Watt, can come back at close to 100% as well. So I think I'm too conservative making them number 14, but that's where they are right now. Now, admitting uncertainty is, you know, we quote Socrates all the time with this one. My only fallback Socrates quote is, someone who knows what he doesn't know knows a lot. If you don't know how good the quarterback is going to be health-wise, it's hard to be too confident. Question, with the health, though, is this a matter of thinking, oh, by week one he won't be 100%, but by week 80 will? Or is this a matter of thinking maybe he's RG3 style never going to be the same? I think it's a concern about week one. I think by the middle of the year, he I fully expect he's going to get back to 100%. Now, then the question becomes, is he going to be a little more um, conservative in terms of how much he's going to run? That's obviously going to hurt his performance, but he'll still be a fine quarterback even if he runs the ball less. Yeah. See, that's something you have really... Fez driven home to me. And I never thought it's not so much or it's not only does the guy get hurt or not when he's fragile and luck. I think we're going to see the same questions, but will he play the same? So risk of injury and will he play as aggressively? Uh, Even like Brady, they said for a year or two after his knee injury, when they were, anyone was at his feet, he just was not the same. And then, his muscle memory, whatever, came back, and, and later, he, you know, he was. If Watson, though, is even 80% of what he was, you're right, Steve. You're too conservative putting them at 14. Do you think 14. even at 80, Houston's better than 14? Yes, because of their defense. And from what I'm hearing, Watt, Marcellus, these guys should be 100%. Clowney, he should be 100%. I mean, those that's three monsters, absolute monsters. That defense is just going to be great. And they were great two years ago when those guys were healthier. And um, I, I really, I, I think they're a top 10 team. And I'm, I'm going under the assumption these guys are all going to be healthy. And if they are, look out. And if you're looking at a futures bet, this team has more volatility than any of these teams. And even though I don't have them rated that high, it would not surprise me if they were a surprise team that could go to the AFC championship game. Now, remember, this is a great concept, and I don't think we've talked about this. When you bet a future bet, we're not talking about over-under season wins. We're talking about will they win the title. And this is even more the case if it's the title. Because you can bet a future where they win the division or whatever. You're not really interested in what the distribution of results are. And if it's not normal, it doesn't really matter to you. What matters is what percentage of the time is this team going to be able to achieve that highest level to cash the bet. So I'll give you an example of all the teams that have a low, a relative, let's say a win total seven or less. So Fez, you got that list? I, I do, RJ. Read it. Start with Denver. Well, Denver seven and a half. So Miami seven or less. Miami. Or actually, let's do this. Less than seven. Less than seven. Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Boy, they could be really good. You never know. Giants. Tampa. Arizona. Cleveland. Okay, so those are supposedly the worst teams. You hinted at it. 
if some if you said you get a free roll win a million bucks if one of those teams win the Super Bowl, I would want the Colts more than double any other team. Like literally, I would take a half million on the Colts. Like let me take the Colts. If they somehow said, but we're pulling the Colts out, I'd say give me a half million free roll. I think they have a double the chance to win the Super Bowl than any team on that list. I might even take them against the field. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, right? And meaning they have a better chance than all the other teams combined. Why? Because if luck is a hundred percent, it's it, every year they've made the playoffs with them a hundred percent. Now we don't know. So that's an example where I think the distribution of results is not normal. And normal is a statistical term where you, the bell curve is another way to say uh, a normal distribution. So to me, I think Houston, if you look at their win total is going to be lower on the list of teams. If you put them in sequence based on how high their win total is, than their Super Bowl odds, meaning they could, Watson could get hurt, and this team could win five games. But also this team could win the Super Bowl. If Watson plays like he did during when he played last year, this is a Super Bowl contender. But the thing is, though, with that division, especially if Luck is healthy and comes back, that's become a tough out now, right. that, that AFC South. Those, all case, four of those teams are good now. I would make the case, even if Luck is 90%, the fourth team in that division is by far the best fourth team. Yes, it's a tough division now. It used to be the worst division. Yeah, yeah. the Titans, I think, are going to finish last. That's a great last place team. Right, they made the playoffs last year, and you wouldn't think necessarily he's trending down either. Right, I mean, if with Tennessee, they might trend down from their record, but not from their power rating. Right, I, I think their quarterback Mariota is great. I think he's been great. He's been held back by malarkey. Ooh. You know, they get a coaching change in there. I think you're going to see Mariota play a lot better. He has not played well, and I, I attribute a lot to that to the coaching there at Tennessee. I think he received very poor coaching. Still has we never shooter. Great. That's strong. He still has never thrown a red zone interception in his entire career. Okay, Houston. Next team. Next team is the opposite of Houston. No variance. Dallas Cowboys. RJ, they're going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. Number what? Number 13. They're going to go 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. They're a slightly above average team with no wide receivers. Okay, so... Collins high on Dallas. I'm a little higher on Dallas. I th- I just think those locker room guys like Prescott, they tend to get better and be- where they build a team around them. That you know that first year they can come in and it's like oh this guy's surprising us. I mean Zeke obviously there's a reason you know I went listen when he started crying about his carries at Ohio State I turned you know I wasn't real happy with him when they're like fighting for the playoffs or whatever. But, you know, you never know if that guy's going to just put a good year in, right? And say, I'm just going to shut up for a year. No, or, Ze- Ze- Zeke's good. The, the, the well, he's good, the, the, but, but he's, he's you don't have to, Yeah, he, Okay, he's a problem. But, you know, he's, he's you don't have to worry about him. Why? <laughs> Why? I, I, no, I'll tell you that what you have to worry about okay. with Dallas. If you're going to say if they're going to be good or not, uh, you talk about quarterbacks. If, if Luck is healthy, Indy's going to be good. If Watson's healthy, Houston's going to be good. As important as those quarterbacks are to those teams, Sean Lee, the linebacker, is just as important to Dallas as those quarterbacks are to their team. If he's healthy, Dallas could be really good. 
He's not healthy, and he usually gets hurt every year. Dallas is in a lot of trouble. He's that much of an impact defensive player. You know, Stephen, that's a great point, because it's not that Sean Lee is a decathlete or anything, but I've read so many stories about he is the master at study. So cerebral. So cerebral. And he can identify exactly. The Colts are going to go ahead and run a screen pass here, and he yeah. barks out what play yeah. is coming, and that's why he's literally worth, against the right opponents, six points in the game. <clears throat> Because he knows what plays are coming, RJ. He's stealing the no, play. No, I, I hear, I, I, I saw you muddle through and come up with that theory live over the like six weeks when we were trying to understand his value. He's not worth six points. He's not. I mean, you can disagree with me. I, I mean, there's no, there's, there's never been a player post Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. It, 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 on the defensive side, little hyperbole there. Yeah, yeah, yeah Steve. I agree, but, he's, he's, I, I agree, he, but how much does it work so to be able to he, crack the code of play calling of the opponent? I mean, we he's say worth something we though want. on the line. He's, he's worth something. Oh, the rare defensive be, player who yeah. is. I, I mean, I would make the following case just to see how crazy what Fezzik said was. I don't know if Nover's making everyone want to act crazy. Well, today. don't don't hold that against yeah. Steve. He was, oh, a, that was an, an emotional. You know, <laughs> man, but he's. But I understand his point. Sean Lee is very very valuable. <laughs> Six points? No, no. But, you know, Steve will admit that. But just lay off him. I mean, that, the bet. You know, he's, he's not worth six <laughs> points. I, re- I, re- I retract it. He's worth seven. <laughs> I mean, has there been any defensive player worth more than one point? Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying. Post Taylor worth more than one point? But this one's where Lee's were six. <laughs> Palomalu, your boy. RJ, yeah. your boy, Palomalu. Wasn't was he worth something? A point, he, maybe. But yeah. he would have been a handful of guys. I, th- I mean, he was doing his prime. The way that LeBeau, yeah. uh, and again, I did watch the Steelers closely, but I know you don't really value that necessarily. But <laughs> is watching them that closely was the, the LeBeau did things. And I, and I find this fascinating because actually for a while, they um, Tim uh, Lawrence or... Uh, I'm having a mental block. Timmons, Tim, yeah, Timmons, um, the linebacker. They, when Troy got a little bit older, they switched and had he, he, uh, Timmons doing some stuff that other linebackers couldn't do. The theory is, and this is the same thing actually on the other side of the ball with quarterbacks, is certain guys can throw to places on the field from a certain other hash that other quarterbacks can't. Aaron Rodgers is a good example of that, where you can't defend Aaron Rodgers the way you defend almost anyone else because he can make certain throws no other quarterback can. So your whole defense is predicated on, hey, we don't have to defend that part of the field, but you got to. So now you got to change everything. Well, with Troy, the Steelers were able to, to play defense in a way uh, by putting him in the box, uh, and this is very simplistic, but they he was like a, a they called it the big nickel eventually, where he would be like a linebacker on like third and twos. But if they did end up passing, he'd be able to pick up, you know, a, yeah. a receiver and in, in a way that he could defend the run and defend the pass in a way that no other safety could. Those are intangibles, and they should be worth something on the line. No, I agree. I agree. Not six points. Though. No, no. You want to? You want to? How's this, Faz? Just say, just speak from the heart and explain why you said that, and we'll promise never to mention it again. Now, if you don't say something that convinces us, we'll mention it often. Against select opponents, Sean Lee steals the play calls. I'm standing by that. (laughs) So can you figure out which opponent it is? I'm going to get back to you on that.
Oh, you're going to do some research? Because it seems like we'd have some best bets, baby. Uh, uh, but, well, if what I'm saying is true. <laughs> if what I'm saying is true. Usually if you're well, saying it, you're supposed to think it's true. I'm going to do the research. <laughs> I will get back. There's a, actually a famous I, YouTube uh, one of Sean Lee telling the coach, hey, you can't be in that defensive formation. That's why they scored. You know, we can't. You well, know, no the guy's saying uncovered. he's not a smart player. Yeah. So, okay. Next team. Next team. Number 12, Carolina Panthers. Here's a team. Statistically, not very good. We go back to the yards per play metric. They only average five yards per play. They give up 5.3 on defense. Last year. Last year. So they have a significantly below statistical average offense. But what I really like about Cam Newton and Carolina, they're the masters. Cam is at keeping the chains moving. Cam picks his spots, and on third and five, he'll go ahead and tuck it and run the seven yards and keep those first downs churning, and that's why I've got them almost in my top ten. Yeah, I, I tell you, I wonder about I wonder about the team, you know, Nova mentioned intangibles. It feels like with the ownership changes and some other disruptions, and then, you know, the GM who made some calls that made the players happy or unhappy, but everyone that was really analytical thought was right and cam being combustible. Uh, and I also think cam quite frankly, being a quarterback that as he ages will suffer. I think there's a lot of questions about that. If so, you're telling me right now what, you know, I don't want, I don't have the win totals in front of me. What's the Dallas win total. What's the Carolina win total. Dallas is eight and a half. Carolina is 8.75. You can still get under nine. They got a tough schedule too. That's that's gonna. I was gonna say, Steve, to put Carolina on the cusp of the top ten when they are only the third best team in that in their own division. You know, that's kind of tough. Well, that's not their fault. They just got dealt but, but, a bad hand. No one's blaming them. It's not like we're gonna punish them. But the that's just a fact. schedule. But I guess. But he's saying something, in, and we've talked about this on college with Brad. We're actually gonna touch on this with one of his three sleeper picks coming up in just a few minutes in college football. How good a team is, the power rating, versus what you project their chance of winning X number of games versus what their title odds are. Those are three different factors, right? Power ratings, just how good they are. Over under win total is going to be how good they are plus their strength of schedule and other factors like back-to-backs off of London or whatever, three straight road games, any other vagaries, right? I always thought it was more important, not who the opponent is, but when you play that opponent. Okay. So however, but how do you, like, is there, is there a uniform way to say that playing this opponent at this time is tougher than that time? Like, I, I just think it's overrated. You're looking at strength of schedule and you say, oh, wow, look at these, you know, they play five you're straight the one winning that just teams. Said, you're the one that just said, hmm. well, they got to play two teams better than that, than them in their division. Right. So right. you just that now well, you just I, said no, it doesn't I'm, just, count. I'm, I'm talking about individual weeks. You know, if you say okay, this should be. So why does it matter that there's two tougher teams in the division? It if you're talking about Carolina as a top ten team, well, it know, doesn't mean that there can't be three top ten teams in one division. Could, but they have to really be outstanding, and I don't think they're really outstanding. But why would they have to be any more outstanding to be the number twelve team? If there's two better teams than them, no, I I, I said cusp of the top ten. You know, if you yeah. want to say twelve to. 14, 15, I, I don't have a problem with that. So you agree with Fezzik? Uh, where'd you rank them, 12, Steve? I did. 
Yeah, I, I'm more or less nitpicking. I mean, this is tough oh, to do what Steve's well, doing. I, I, think, <laughs> I think to summarize. We've got to the bottom of it. Now, notice it, I said like, nitpicking and not nit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to summarize, even though I've got Carolina rated pretty high at number 12, don't go out and bet them to win the division because the Saints or the Falcons are the much more likely options. And doesn't Carolina lose to Tampa Bay at least once every year? You know, they always split with them. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, number 11. Number 11. The Los Angeles Chargers, and I got to tell you, RJ, I don't think I've ever said this before. I think the Chargers might belong in the top 10 because their coach was so bad last year. So let's think about this. They're contending for a playoff bid with Coach Lynn, who just was not ready to go to start the season. I believe they started 0-4. Even though I don't think he's going to be a good coach, he can't possibly be worse than he was in his rookie year. And because of the improvement, there's a whole lot to like about the Chargers, especially that improved defense. And characterize how the defense improved? I think they just got all this youthful talent coming in that gel. From where? I want to hear some specifics on how the defense got better. Um, Bosa and the the pass rush. I think they gave up the pass rush. The pass rush. Was How did the pass rush get better? I don't have the exact stats on the sacks. I do know the defense. No, no, but what I'm saying is just I'm not trying to, like, catch you not knowing something. Just explain what you mean. Well, they have one of the best tandem pass is rushers it, with, Ingram? with Bose and Ingram. Yes. Yeah, yeah those so are they've got two. They've rushers. got two great pass rushers, and they were improving throughout the year, and I expect more improvement Were this they year. improving throughout the year? They, the team started 0-4. But... The point I'm making is we heard how many years has it been? This is one of my like, hey, I'm going to die on this hill this year. How many years have we heard the Chargers are better than their record? Every year. I mean, it's been at least three, meaning three right here on the dream preview that it's been. We probably said the Chargers are better than their record 30 times, like 30 weeks. I mean, I don't mean 30 times. I mean, 30 separate weeks. In the last three years, we've said it. So at what point are we going to say, you know, maybe not? Well, <laughs> we're not going to say it this year, and here's why. Well, I, I, might or last year. I might be. They had to play 16 road games last year. They have to play 16 road games this year. So Okay, so that sounds like a negative. Yeah, that's not going to improve. They no, don't in, have... in terms of their power rating, the team's really good, but it doesn't translate into wins on the scoreboard because they don't get any home field advantage. Okay, I'll accept that, which... Comes back to the point of power ratings are about how good a team is. And over under win total is about how many games they're going to win, which is how good they are versus how tough their schedule is or their situational uh, situation. To quote the situation from Jersey Shore. <laughs> is- <laughs> wow. Jersey Shore. Is that what you're watching these days? <laughs> I've watched it. I've watched it. I was I gotta do some counter punching here. It's- <laughs> no, see, sometimes you just accept you're out punched and <laughs> smile and contribute. <laughs> I, I now, can't you'll get there. You'll I, get there. I, I can't, I can't you'll let get there soon I, enough. You know, I can't let Fez get away with saying the Chargers are could be a top ten team. <laughs> They're not. You know, Rivers is another year older and he's not an elite quarterback anymore. As you even said, they have no home field, the worst home field advantage of any team. But Lynn but, is a horrible coach. But all joking aside, or all of further commenting aside is I do think it's important to make this point. Power ratings are how good you are. The over under win total or projected wins, however you want to think about that, how good you are, plus your situation in the games, who you're playing, when you're playing them, et cetera. And then your Super Bowl odds, as we talked about your true Super Bowl odds 
are about what's the chance of you having a great performance. So I thought Foles, I mean, let's use the Eagles as an example. I thought that it was shocking the Eagles won the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. It really was to me. But if you would have said of all the backup quarterbacks in the league, who could have a two or three game run, Foles would have been at the, you know, near the top of that list. I would have even said in hind, you know, before. So it is fascinating when we, and I think we owe it to the listeners to be very specific. Are we talking about how good a team is? Which, like you said, the fact that Chargers are not going to have a good home field. I mean, obviously it's better to play at home than play on the road, right? Because you're not traveling as one. At worst, it's neutral as opposed to minus. You know, they're not playing. I think that, in fact, I think we need a double bike. You can't say they're playing 16 road games. You can say they're playing eight road games and no home games. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. The the other it's not like if they're playing at home, like usually the swing is going to be six points, right? Home to home or home to away, let's say. Pittsburgh's minus three at home against a team they're even against on a neutral and they're going to be plus three on the road, right? I think with the charges you could make the point they're plus three on the road and they're minus one at home. Yes, but when they play a team like Kansas City or especially when they play Oakland. A, tra- a team that can really travel. Yeah, that's a road game when they play Oakland in, in that soccer stadium in Los Angeles, even though they're listed as the home game in a game like that. I also want to mention the Rams. Two years ago, remember, they moved to, they moved to Los Angeles. They had a really bad year. And then the next year, they got used to it. They got acclimated to L.A., and they became a playoff team. Now, I'm not saying the Chargers are going to do exactly the same thing, and it's not as dramatic a but move. But the Chargers are the favorite in the West, right? They are. But the, so the Chargers had to move from San Diego to L.A. Not as big a move as moving from St. Louis, but a big transition. Now they've got some stability, more stability this year. You're listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Okay, Mr. Nover, some would say you've said enough, but we're going to let you critique Fezzik's top 10. We've got an overrated and an underrated amongst his top 10. Why don't we start with the overrated team? Uh, Steve, you have San Francisco 10th, and prior to getting Garoppolo, they were, what, a bottom two, bottom three team, and then... He comes on board. What do you go four or five and oh, you know, against teams that aren't caring? You know, it's the end of the season. And there's definite improvement there. There's good reason for optimism, but they're not leaping from being a bottom five type team all the way into a top 10. I, think I love Jimmy G. I think it's too quick of a jump. Jimmy G undefeated <laughs> as a starter in the NFL with New England and now with San Francisco. But Stephen does bring up a really good point that. I, I'm I disagree wor- with him. I'm worried that I may be a little bit irrational with my excitement. I love Jimmy G. Because they did get a cupcake schedule with them down the road. Even the playoff teams they beat, Jacksonville and Tennessee, they were really good spots for San Francisco. I don't think San Francisco was a bottom two team. Uh, I think it was a team that had so many close losses uh, early in the season and were right there with Brian Hoyer. You get a little bit better quarterback play with Jimmy G and all those losses turns into wins. They weren't a bottom five team to begin with, so think, it's not that big of a jump. I think six straight losses by one score or less early in the well, year. Well, I think the bigger stat, and it's exactly the point I was going to make, Brad, 
so I agree. It, <laughs> it was a good one. Is in the games that Bather didn't start. So Hoyer, who's a backup, I think we all can agree, but a good backup, top five, in my opinion, top five backup. And then with Jimmy G, they lost only one game by more than a field goal. So if we accept every game within a field goal is a coin flip, they literally could have been undefeated. Now, why did they go to Bathard? Because at a certain point, they did lose the games. Hoyer was old. Give Bathard a chance. And quite frankly, once he showed himself not to be good, it was too late to make the playoffs. And correct me if I'm wrong, they wouldn't necessarily have started Jimmy G. The game they that that first game he played where he threw a late touchdown, there was an injury that got him in the game, correct? Yep. Yes. So I don't think they had any but once the excitement started, and I can't remember was Bathard out the next week. I mean, I don't think they necessarily now who knows in hindsight if they're happy about this because they did have to give him a monster con in theory, if he would have sat and maybe started the last game and had a good game, Jimmy G obviously our expectations for the 49ers would be a lot lower, but I wonder, could they have got him on a, a long-term deal? Cause remember they could have franchised him. So there was a motivation for Jimmy G to sign to get all that money locked up. It might've been, over all those years, it might have been five million a year times what was it? Five could have been a twenty-five million dollar differential if Jimmy G didn't have that amazing run. You know, that's a great point that you're making in terms of Jimmy G playing at the end of the year and the difference in the perception to with San Francisco RJ. If Jimmy G, let's say they had signed him, but he didn't play last year, their season win number would have been five and a half this year. But now right, it's but nine. Right, but rightfully so, because we did gain new information. Is this guy, we only had the game and a half. We can talk about being undefeated with the Patriots, right? But it was a game and a half, right? Yes. We have five more games. And, I, you know, I'm going to call BS on something else that both you guys said. Bad situation for Jacksonville. It's like, here's the mistake you got, in my opinion, my opinion, you got to watch out for. There's a factor that matters, the zigzag. And we can all debate, is it worth one and a half points, two, two and a half points? And maybe we can say, hey, game three with a great confident team or a great player on a confident team is going to be worth even more. Crowd's going to be into it. Maybe it's two and a half. Dictating or uh, defining those half points is what we do. The accumulation of half points is what a professional batter does. And, and Fez, you know that, bat, in my opinion, as well, if not better than anybody. But the thing you do more than anything is you get one thing in your mind that might be worth a half a point or a point or maybe two. And then a team will lose by 30 and you'll just wave your hand and dismiss it when the best you could do is say, well, that 30-point loss should have only been 28. I'm going to adjust for the factor, but it doesn't, whenever there's a factor in a game, it doesn't wipe out the game. Eerily reminiscent of Toronto, the Raptors, they lose by 20. And I say, well, Van Vliet wasn't hundred <laughs> percent. Van Vliet. <laughs> and I mean, the point I'm making is Jacksonville, that was a heck of a win. Jacksonville ended up, there was a spot in the conference championship or in the, um, that was a conference championship, yep. yeah. That the, they were the favorite to win that game, right? It was I mean, a good win. It was a good win for San Francisco. Yeah, yes. and I agree. It was a bad spot. I mean, if I remember, 49ers were the favorite in that game, right? Four-point dog. 
They were the four-point dog. Last I game, that- I think you're remembering when the Rams decided to sit everyone. Okay, okay. 49ers flipped a favorite. Yeah, and but was the game in Jacksonville or San Francisco? San Francisco. Okay, but but the line move went where the the line would have been significantly more if the theory was Jacksonville was playing hard, 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 but. It wasn't 20 points or whatever. And it wasn't like Jacksonville was sitting everybody. They played their guys. Yeah, so I, I think that finding a nice, clean factor, even one that's underrated, is how you win, or especially one that's underrated. But it doesn't wipe out the game. Yeah, I think the bottom line here, San Francisco is improved. They showed a lot of promise, but just to jump them in the top 10, I, I think it's too much. All right, last NFL, and then we're getting to college, is give us your underrated team, team you think Fez should have higher. Well, this is tough to do, and Steve, I compliment you. I, I'm i just, San Francisco, I, I had a difference of opinion. The rest, though, it, it, it's, it's pretty spot on. So if I'm really nitpicking here, but I and this is subjective, I think the, the Saints are all in. So I think Saints have uh, Saints. Steve has them ranked sixth, and uh, yeah, I think uh, the Saints are higher. Than yeah, I, I think they're higher. I think they could win the Super Bowl. I so, do too. Yeah. What's the Saints win total, and what's the Rams win total? Rams are at ten. Saints are at nine and a half. And the only concern I had with the Saints was just Drew Brees being turning forty. Well, this he's, year. he's healthy every year, and I have a bigger concern with golf. You know, I I, I, I know with that I know too. the Rams are everybody's darling, and I can't disagree if you want to put them fourth, but uh, I I. I have questioned, you know, Goff. I, you know, as, as, as far as he being an elite quarterback, Breeze is an elite quarterback. He never gets hurt. I don't think anyone thinks Goff. So anyone that I respect their opinion thinks Goff's an elite quarterback. He's not. He's not. You look at his third down and eight or yeah, more. Yeah, and, I, and I, mean, I question if he ever will be. And and he may he may not. But the, what we know is he had he isn't. Right. He's a system, not right. a system quarterback. He's a game man. He needs weapons. You know, I mean, is right. is is golf any better than Andy Dalton? I, I, I no. mean, I'm not sure. I wouldn't rather have Andy Dalton. Right now, again, golf's trend line has the potential to be better going into year three. But last year, if we could go back in time and have a must win game and forget about, oh, they're acclimated with their teammates or whatever, just talent wise, I think Andy uh, or I think Andy Dalton's the better quarterback. Well, golf's edge is he's much better coached. Yeah. He gets a lot better coaching. His coach really puts him in good situations where Dalton is just, he's on his own and he's not very good, you know, and it's You know, one last statement on the on the Saints, Stephen. You're making a great case, by the way. If Diggs doesn't catch that miracle touchdown yeah. pass, yeah. for all we know the Saints are the Super Bowl champions. Yeah. And then they certainly are going to be in the top five. And Steven said something I thought was right on, and we've talked about this. Trading up in the first round to get an edge rusher. Mike Lombardi talked about this. He said, uh, and obviously Peyton is from the school of Bill Parcells. He says he had three lists of needs. We must have, we'd like to have, you know, so whatever order it was. And I don't remember other than the must have the exact words. But the theory is level one need, level two need, level three need, with one being we can't win without this. If we don't fix this, we're not going to win the Super Bowl. And they defined it as needing an edge rusher. They traded up a number one pick that if you look at the charts, which go back to Jimmy Johnson, so who knows, you know, again, a lot of changes since those charts came out, is they traded too much. But here's the question I've asked, and I'll say it quickly, is the goal for the Saints to win the most games in the next 10 years? If so, that was a bad trade. If the goal is to win the most Super Bowls in the next 10 years, 
I think it was a good trade because the odds of the Saints or any team winning a Super Bowl without an elite quarterback is very low. The odds of getting an elite quarterback are tough. You've got an elite quarterback for one or two more years with Brees. And you have, because of the last year's draft, last year's draft, a Saints team that's a Super Bowl contender. Get that one player you need so bad. Now, we don't know if his edge rusher from a small school is going to be good, but they think he is. And I think it maxes out their chances and it shows their mentality is all in. And maybe they do another crazy move or two, all all like Denver did. I mean, let's give Denver credit when they won with Peyton Manning. They were signing contracts that made no sense. Well, you know, another thing with the Saints, their Achilles heel is always their secondary. Now, uh, the year before, they, they draft Lattimore. Well, they struck gold, a shutdown cornerback. I mean, they've got pass rushers. They've got a shutdown cornerback. They got a tremendous offense. Now. Well, they're coach, all in. yeah, they're all in. It's a lot going for them. All right, good stuff. Now we're going to go to college. Hmm. All right, Brad. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> the top three future. Now, have you bet all these? Yep, absolutely. Okay. The top three future bets that are long shots that are long shots. So before we get into the teams quickly, are you more or less handicapping to make the playoffs? Cause if these odds are better or bigger payoff, you can earn if they make the playoffs. Absolutely. So looking to make at least the conference championship game, if not the playoffs team, number one, Texas, the Longhorns, a team that actually didn't live up to expectations, really haven't lived up to expectations the last 10 years, but a team that was very close on the cusp last year. Went 7-6 and six, Tom Herman's first year, but then I start going through the season looking at some of these losses. This is a team that lost four games by six points or less. It's not like they were underachieving in games. No, these close losses were the top 15 teams. Double overtime on the road against USC. Five points against Oklahoma. Three points in overtime against Oklahoma State. They were already competing with top 15 teams. Just a bad break here or there. They catch a couple breaks. This is a 9-10 win team last year. Here's what I like about Texas this year. 14 returning starters. I think they finally situated the quarterback. They're going to go with Sam Ellinger. And this is Texas also bringing in probably their best recruiting class in six or seven years, an elite recruiting class that are filling in in stopgats, particularly their secondary. No, no, hold on. So at this point in 2018, on a team that's going to potentially compete for the national title in the scenario that, that – your handicap is correct, as in not that they're necessarily going to make the playoffs because with a big payoff, even if you're correct, they're not going to be 50-50 to make it. How much can a freshman on defense contribute well, I to think, that level team? Well, I think you can win with a freshman. Not, I mean, not five or six freshman defenders, but one or two in key spots. And they just signed the top three secondary players in the country at a key spot, safety. They lost two safeties to the draft. They signed the two best players, safety players coming out of high school. It's not that big of a concern for me, RJ. Okay. And moving forward, another thing, obviously, experienced team coming back, schedule. I love Texas' schedule this year. Now, it's not an easy schedule, especially when you're playing you know, USC in the non-conference, but they get SC at home this year. And the road schedule, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, only four true road games for Texas. They'll be favoring at least 10 games. And if they are a dog, I got the best underdog coach in the country, Tom Herman, 16-1 against the spread. 13 outright upsets, Texas, I think, gets to the Big 12 championship game. That's the case. Then I can maybe start earning on this 30-1 to ticket. I tell you, I like it. I like it 
and Herman obviously pedigreed at Ohio State, and Tim Beck, who was the OC at Ohio State, obviously Herman's going to be very involved in the offense, but he's got a guy that was with him at Ohio State. So I think a very comfortable working relationship on the offensive side of the ball. And also, and this is kind of a weird thing that we've never talked about, but the idea of selling ticket, like, like if Texas gets hot, if Texas really surprises all on Miami of Florida last year, I think their odds are going to skyrocket because it's back to the narrative. All oh, tax hook them horns. Texas is back. And if that's the case, you could even earn off of this before, you know, let's say they start out eight and oh, and there's different uh, platforms where you can sell your tickets now and stuff is, uh, and again, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't done much or any of that really, but I, I got a feeling getting Texas now if they start out eight and zero or something, even though if they're still big underdogs to make the playoffs, to say right before the Alabama or the Oklahoma game, boy, I think those odds are going to go to 15, 12 to one or, or even, you know, even better. Absolutely. So in a way, if you're going to bet Texas, now's the time. Yep. I think so. And I think a lot of the, you know, preseason magazines are going to start coming in higher on Texas. Number two, we're going to go with Miami, Florida, a team you just talked about that earned me money last year. Didn't make the playoff. But because of that 10-0 start with an 80-1 ticket, they I was able to make some money off of that. This year's team is actually, last year's team was kind of faking until you make it. I liked Miami last year because they had an easy schedule. This year, I like Miami because of the team. The team power rating is probably three, four points higher than last year's team. 14 returning starters. I like the way Miami closed the season, even though they lost three straight games. To me, that gives a motivation. Hey, we were right there at 10-0, top two in the country. We didn't finish the, bit, finish the job. Now this year, you look at their schedule, easily faking. Favorite in 10 of their 12 games. Only two games that the line's in question. Already a favorite against LSU on the road against a Virginia Tech team they dominated last year. That I could easily see Miami 11-1, 12-0. They're the clear-cut favorite in their division. They're going to get to the ACC championship game again. So this is back to the idea of how good is a team, how difficult is your path, and then what's the chance of them having an extremely good result within their normal range of results. In this case, it's more about, hey, this is a pretty good team that's got a fairly easy path. Is that the handicap? Top 15 team power rating. As far as power five teams schedule-wise, probably one of the 10 easiest schedules of all the power five teams. Wow, it's just so fascinating how it's just different factors you're considering. With Fez, an example, as much as he's a little down on the Saints, he's down on the Saints across a season, whereas you like the Saints early in the year because – the big question mark you've got for the Saints is Breeze and how he's going to age throughout the season. Is he going to potentially get an injury? As you older you get, the easier it is to get injured. Game one doesn't matter near as much. Yeah, and the marketplace saw Ingram, their starting running back, go out. I actually think they'll be even better week one because I love Kamara, the other starting running back, so much he's going to get more play time in weeks one through four. And by the way, we've got a little breaking news on a podcast. Over the wire, Chargers tight end Hunter Henry suffered a season season ending ACL injury. Oh God. In drills today. So these <laughs> people these people won't think that uh we didn't know we're taping Tuesday, pregame.com offices. Team three. Michigan State. 
to me, another top 15 team on paper. Why? Michigan State's a 10-win team last year who had wins over Penn State, over Michigan, and they're the most experienced team in the country coming back, 19 returning starters, a pedigreed coach in Mark D'Antonio, and it's a team that... Why are they 60-1? to Well, they're in the same division as Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. But the reality is, a lot of people say, ah, they're below all those three teams. They've actually had good fortune against Michigan. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Brady Hoke, Rich Rodriguez. Michigan State has owned Michigan 8-2 and the last 10 times they played. Ohio State, the only team since 2011 to beat Ohio State three times, Michigan State. And in that stretch, two losses by a point each. So really, outside of last year, Michigan State has competed very well with Ohio State. And just last year, Michigan State beat Penn State. So here's a team, the most experienced team in the Big Ten East, gets Ohio State and Michigan both at home. They'll be favoring at least 10 games. Why not take a flyer on Michigan State 60-1? to See, this is one that feels like you like Michigan State, but... It's not perfect for a long shot because it does seem like this is a team that you want to maybe say, I'm going to find spots to play them and I might bet them three times in the first five weeks. But boy, this goes against in a way you're you're saying this team's probably like who's better, Michigan State or Miami? Michigan State. All right. But Michigan State is 60 to one. Yeah. And Miami is 40 to one. So. Obviously, intrinsic in that is Michigan State's got a tougher road. Now, you might say, well, you're getting paid with the jumbo payout for the tough road. But some roads are tough and some roads are impossible. I mean, is there a scenario that you can really see that Michigan State makes the playoffs? They ha- would have to win the Big Ten with one loss or less. Yep, I could see it by beating Taking care of business at home against Michigan and Ohio State. Well, yeah, we get the math. We yeah. get the mechanics of how you don't Let lose a the, bunch of games is you beat everybody. Yes, there, but <laughs> there's less of a chance, obviously. You know, I thought you guys brought up a great point about Texas and how their pedigree, how their public perception could skyrocket. Okamorans, like you said, RJ, where they get into the semifinals. Hey, this line might be pick them. My problem with Sparty is they get the semifinals. We've seen this story before. This Big Ten team that doesn't have Buckeyes on their helmets make them a 10-point underdog. So now, all of a sudden, you can't earn off of this team very much, even though they make the Final Four. You've been like a brain surgeon. Listen, that's a great point. Is not only if you're going to plan to hedge, if the bet is to get to the point where you can hedge, you've got to consider the expense of hedging. And there's two kinds of expense. There's the VIG, juice, commission, whatever, of hedging. But number two is what what are they going to be priced? Because if you have a team that would be, think about it, that would be even, let's say, even in a semifinal. And again, how do you know? But you're making a good point. A Texas team that makes the semis is going to be highly valued, chances are. When I say semis, I mean the playoffs. But... A Michigan State team like Wisconsin last year that isn't a pedigree team, you know, at the highest level that makes it, maybe they're going to be plus what two fifty in a game or even higher. They play Alabama; they could be plus five hundred. So yeah. literally, the expense to hedge out is five x. Yes, right. I've never really heard anyone talk about that. That is, I mean, that count for the fact that it's going to cost the hedge. I've we've talked that's about strong it. stuff, but yeah, it really is Fez is, but the idea of projecting what if, and, and that's the thing. It's one of those things like, well, what would so-and-so be in the finals? Well, that assumes they win the next three games. 
And what's that going to do to their public perception? Texas is going to get a lot of love if they keep winning in a way that a Michigan State wouldn't. I agree with that. Miami, another pedigree program, is going to get more love than a Michigan State. Because everyone's going to go back to when Michigan State made the playoff semifinals three years ago, and it was a 38 nothing beatdown at the hands of Alabama. Good stuff, Fez. Good stuff. Okay, any closing thoughts, Brad? So what's our plans for college football to start next week? Well, we can do a multiple. I mean, week one lines are starting to come out at three, four casinos. Uh, we Why got, don't we do that? Let's do a week yeah. one. Give us maybe uh, three games. Break down three games with, with the best bet. Can do that easily. I had six best bets yesterday at a particular casino. Oh, by the way. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Brad Reed, do me a favor. Pull up your Twitter. Okay. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me when you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Read to me the tweet about your uh, your picks or your your bets with all of them. Yeah, all no, right. just 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 read it. Biggest, the, one, the one that the one that talked about your influence. Yeah, biggest week one college football line moves: Michigan open plus seven, now plus one at Notre Dame. Miami of Ohio open plus three, now minus three. Purdue open plus two, now minus three versus Northwestern. Syracuse minus one, now minus six uh, against Western Michigan. I may have had something to do with a few of those, and then I posted all my tickets. Welcome to Mirage, Mr. Papa Giorgio. <laughs> a little too much humble bragging there, yeah. Fez. What do you think? <laughs> I think Brad deserves accolades for being there in person. Fezzy was on his app attempting to bet, and they sent me a message. Betting on the app will not be allowed until 11 a.m. after Brad Powers picks these numbers clean. That, that was on the app. Well, not all of that. <laughs> Like, did you, when you press pause on, when you press send on that, did you have a second thought? No, no. It was just like totally like. Welcome to Mirage, yeah, Mr. Papa Giorgio. I took some flack for it. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? If you read that, you think Brad was like a young punk, but he actually is a humble dude. I mean, like he trusts, and I'm being sincere, he trusts his work. And his expertise, but he's more open to learning things he doesn't know than 90% of guys that are as good as he is at his, you know, at 33 years old. And, but it's something about your influence. The one time I always feel like you're, you go way overboard with the humble brag is about somehow your influence in the market. What is, I, I'm going to want to explore what it is about that. Huh. What do you think, Fez? I think Brad's a little bit like a really good chess player that like has, hasn't played any tournaments, and he shows up, and he's not sure how good he is, and now he starts beating the crap out of people, and he's figuring out rapidly now that he's in Vegas just how good he really is at college football. Welcome to Mirage, Mr. Papa Giorgio. <laughs> if you want more tweets like that, <laughs> at Brad Power 7. Brad Powers, P-O-W-E-R-S, and the Mysterious 7. Okay, what's next? So for the rest of the show, we've got overrated, underrated, free pick in Major League Baseball. We've got a free pick, best bet from Fezzik in NBA. Big bet, RJ. Big bet. Big. In the NBA. And we got a little gambling legalization talk. We only got one commercial break this week, so let's do it now. My old friend, True Car. Here's some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior, removing excess weight from your car 
will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Question mark. Well, here's another tip for you also that you might not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others paid so they know if they are getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Now, that QL, we're looking, we are, to get an edge over the sports books. That QL is available for download. It's an app that puts the important research you need to make smart bets in one place. BetQL gives you powerful data at your fingertips. With BetQL, you can quickly assess line movement to see the lines move throughout the day. This app gives you access to public betting trends in real time so you can see which side the public is favoring. BetQL's proprietary algorithm gives users value bets of the day. Based on detailed recent and historical team trends. Best of all, you can download BetQL for free from your Apple or Android device. Head to BetQL.co to download an app to help you outsmart Vegas. That's BetQL.co. BetQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer, trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free. For both Apple and Android. All right, guys, Mr. Esler steps up. So we're going to have an overrated, an underrated, and that's for the week. An overrated, an underrated team. And then we're going to be into the free pig zone, getting to the crunch time, the best bets down the home stretch part of the show. First, Esler's overrated team of the week. All right, before we get into this week's overrated team, we have to pat ourselves on the back for last week's overrated team, which was the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm not sure what day we taped it, but I'm not sure it really matters because they haven't won a game since. So kudos to us there. Uh, This week, the overrated team is the Los Angeles Angels. And people ask, well, how do you get overrated? Well, you start off 13-2 and for one thing, which the Angels did. Uh, And I look back at that, and all those teams were Oakland, Oakland, Cleveland, who wasn't hitting, Texas, who still can't hit, and the Royals before they got half decent. And then they flew to Boston and got swept and and yada, yada, yada. So they've they've beat up on the AL West, but they're under 500 against everybody else. And if you just look at their last 10 games, they're 3-7, and and yet they've been favored in the majority of them. And 3-7, and and, and two of those wins were by Otani. And if you're going to bet on Otani, you're going to spend probably 30 or 40 cents more than you need to. So the Angels will be overrated when he doesn't pitch. But even when he pitches, you know, he's won two to one and he won five to two against the Rays, laying minus 195. Not something I want to do with an offense that's hit 176, 176 with 15 runs in the last six games. Even tonight, I look at Garrett Richards and, and he's a road favorite. And, and I just 
don't quite grasp that, especially with a bullpen that has a 182 whip over the last seven games, and they just lost Kenyon Middleton. Their their closure is going back on the DL. Shoemaker's already on the DL. Uh, their starters, Trapiano's given up three or more runs in four of his last six games. Skaggs is pretty solid, but he's only pitched into the seventh inning uh, once in eight starts, and, and I digress, see bullpen. And they're about to start a 10-game trip on the road against Toronto, the Yankees, and Detroit. And by the time they play Detroit, they may be ready to go home. So I have the Angels as, once again, an overrated team. Okay, Fez, thoughts? Love it. Love all the analysis, especially the part about Otani being the one guy you normally would maybe look to back as an Angels starter, but him saying, oh, this is the one guy that the public knows about and is priced, and Dave mentions 30 to 35 cent tax on this pitcher on top of it. Um, I think dead fate of the Angels, and of course they lost again tonight. Professor Nover, how deeply are you handicapping baseball right now? Oh, pr- pretty deep, and uh, Dave's got a good opinion, and that was a, a perfect example. I, I would agree with those two examples. Uh, the Diamondbacks, they keep losing players. You know, Pollock got hurt, and I, I tweeted I tweeted a joke. I said, wow, he actually lasted about five weeks before he got hurt this, this year. And, uh, you know, so their offense is, is, is pretty crippled, and uh, uh, so, So yeah. when you said, you said the Diamondbacks, is that what you meant to say? Yeah, the Diamondbacks, because he, he mentioned that they were... Uh, Last week, he talked about oh, Arizona. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. okay. You know, and one thing about Arizona I should mention, they went to the Humidor this year, the same thing Colorado has, RJ. They can't hit a lick at home anymore. And I think, think about it. If you've been playing for years in a place that's a launching pad, and all of a sudden the high fly balls mm, don't go yeah. over the wall Look at the, the mentally. Look at the horrible year Goldschmidt is having. You know, it's... I would be upset. Hmm. Well, you are the dirtiest player in the game. Next up, underrated team of the week. My underrated team this week, and, and this uh, almost along the lines of Arizona last week, we gave out an underrated team that I think was leading the division at the time. Uh, this week, it's the Milwaukee Brewers who are actually leading the NL Central. And I looked at that, and I looked at everybody else, and I said, you know, that could be that could be a futures bet if one wanted to make one on the Brewers. Uh, but anyhow. They're, they're, they're 12 and 6 in their last 18 games. 13 of them, they were underdogs in. And, and that, that just doesn't make any sense. So, how does the team get underrated? Well, the market doesn't respect them. And, and I think they need to respect the Brewers, especially that bullpen. You know, they remind me of some of these teams that have had marginal starting pitching. And I think the Brewers have better than marginal, but they got a bullpen. So, the starters, they go five or six innings. It's tough to beat the Brewers. Um, you know, I know Ryan Braun is out. But Ryan Braun post-steroids is a shadow of Ryan Braun pre-steroids. And even this season, he's hitting 220. Uh, and, and you look at that lineup, and anytime you have a team with Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain on it, I mean, they're just ballers. They give you 110%. Um, they lead the NL Central. Impressively, they're 18-10 and 10 on the road. And more impressively, their next nine games are at home. And even more impressively, you know, a lot of these games come down to the ninth inning. The Brewers are 11 and five in one run games. Uh, and that's hard to beat because you have about 28% of MLB games are one run games. So there you have it. My underrated team this week is the Milwaukee Brewers. Dave knows his baseball. And, you know, Milwaukee's closer, I believe it's Robbie Knievel. I remember it because it sounds like evil Knievel. <laughs> he was on the DL. So. A lot of folks were like, uh-oh, that bullpen's in trouble, and they did just fine, and now he's back. I think 
that's a team. There's a reason they're eleven and five in close games. It only gets better going forward. Knievel's a, a great closer, but he's not even their best relief pitcher. It's Josh Hader. This this guy is like the new Araldus Chapman. He's uh, he could lead the league in strikeouts if he gets enough innings. And uh, Brewers, very uh, great depth in the outfield, great depth at the corners, a lot, lot of power there, and uh, monster bullpen. I'm not that high on their starters as maybe Dave is, but I, I certainly agree with him that they're very underrated. Wow, we got some knowledge here, guys. All right, free pick for Wednesday's action from Dave Ashley. By the way, one of those good Twitter follows at Dave underscore Esler, E-S-S-L-E-R, Dave underscore Esler. Free pick for Wednesday. My free pick for Wednesday night, and this is probably going to go against the public, um, at least earlier the lines just came out, it's the Texas Rangers and the New York Yankees under 10 runs uh, in Texas tomorrow night. And that right now is out at 10 uh, over minus 120. I fully expect that to be 10 and a half. And I think Heritage already is 10 and a half. They opened at 10 and a half knowing what was coming probably. Um, and the way I look at those, you know, yes, that's it's the Yankees, yada, yada, yada. It's a, it's a hitter's ballpark. Uh, and, and rather than me looking at, oh, we need 11 runs to win that, that we can do that. I look at it backwards. If I'm betting under 10 and a half, which I expect to be able to get, I'm betting that we need 11 runs to lose that bet. And, and I just don't see that happening. Sabathia, he's a five-inning pitcher. He's, he's digressed some. Uh, but the only team that really lit him up is Boston. And, and that's a familiarity thing. You know, I've told my, my people over and over that a lot of times when these sort of name pitchers get, get beat up, it's by a familiar foe. And I could say the same thing about the Rangers starter, Doug Fister. Uh, the only time he got beat up was against Boston, team he played for. Uh, he tends to be a ground ball pitcher. He's only given up more than three earned runs once. Against the current Yankees, they have 51 at-bats. None of them have taken him over the fence. He tends to be tough on lefties. And say what you want about Judge and Stanton, I think Gregorius makes that team go. Uh, they haven't seen a whole lot of him. The Yankees' pen's been looking great. And surprisingly, the Rangers' bullpen has a 2.92 ER over the, over the last week. Uh, do I expect that continue? No. Uh, but it's all about right now, so I don't think we'll see 11 runs. Ten and a half, which will be available under Texas, New York Yankees Wednesday night. You know, one thing I really like about this is that the Yankees, we talk about this with the NBA, certain teams higher scoring their games at home versus the road. For whatever reason, the Yankees games have been two runs higher scoring in their home games than the road games. So here's a perception, Texas, oh, very hitter friendly. But the Yankees games in general, the time to play this team under so far this uh, year to date has been on the road. And as far as uh, playing uh, Texas home games under, now is the time of year to do it. You don't want to do it in August. Uh, that's when those games really go over because of the humidity. Uh, Texas, you got to really question their offense. They had proof fire. He was batting cleanup, you know. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I can't disagree either here with, with Dave, although I'm not a fan of Doug Fister, and it's hard to spin that he can – maybe come up with a good game, but I can't, I couldn't disagree. Yeah. But correct me if I'm wrong. Cause baseball is not, it's funny when I was in college, that was my favorite sport to handicap. Cause I mean, back in, I mean, especially a year or two after college, 93, 94, if you just had any sabermetric site and, you know, I think baseball prospectus was the one I was using way back then on, you know, on the net. If you looked at whenever there was a disparity between ERA and whatever the advanced pitching metric was back then you could, I mean, the, the price was about 
the old school stats back then. So you could have a, a, a pitcher that, you know, let's say the teams are even, you could have a pitcher that was plus 160, let's say, that was the better pitcher uh, with even teams just because the, 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 um, old school stats look better for the opposing pitcher, but the sabermetric said, Oh no, this pitcher's better. I mean, it was uh, fairly easy to beat, but now the market I think is if anything, the way to beat baseball is when you disagree with the sabermetrics, would you agree with that Faz? is that um, the market is so in line with the, with the most common sabermetrics now? Yeah. Your summary was great, RJ, that no one was aware of all these sabermetrics 20 years ago. And now it's the Bible and it's getting, if anything, overly priced. So with a guy like Fister, he's so good, right? And and again, in this case, not good at all. He's a certain level of good when I say so good. But the question is, is he under or overpriced for the market, right? Because I would have no problem betting under every game for the worst pitcher in baseball if the market thought he was even worse than the worst. Whereas he's like, where however good the market thought he was, if 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 he was actually better than that, though still the worst pitcher, there's gonna be value on the under, right? So do, it's not so much as Fister good, but is Fister over underrated or properly rated? Where do you think he falls there? I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm an old fashioned capper. I still do the tiers with the starting pitchers. You know, I'm not really into the, the metrics. I just uh, I rate uh, Fister as a so as you, a, so a you don't D use, type of pitcher. So you you're not a sabermetric guy with the pitch. Well, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to learn it, and if I see if there's maybe something really significant or something, I might incorporate it. But basically, no, I, I'm old fashioned. I which rate, actually to me would be fascinating because in theory, if you're handicapping differently than the market. Uh, when you have your strongest opinions, you're, you're probably getting a ton of value because a percentage of the time, the market's not going to see what you're seeing because you're thinking about it differently. It's interesting. All right. It's that time. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Now already, already you've got Brad Powers, three line busting, line moving bets. Ace Rothstein was a hell of a handicapper. I can tell you that. I was so good that whenever I bet, I could change the odds for every bookmaker in the country. Now. (laughs) It was funny. I was looking at Brad. Part of it, he was proud. In part, he was a little bit chagrined. Hey. Now, how, how would you split that? Uh, chagrined is probably 65. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Faz, best bet. Brad's smiling like the Cheshire <laughs> cat right now. Best bet, game five. Okay, Steven, you lost with Boston game three. I'm sorry. RJ, we lost with Boston game four. I'm sorry. Well, we're going to get well, it all. Let me tell a story about. No, no, go ahead. Let's get it all back. Game <laughs> the time five. I talked to Red Arbach, you know. <laughs> Let's make this line here. So I've got Cleveland two and a half points better than Boston right now in my power ratings, which I just put up over the pregame.com forums. Let's give Boston four for home court advantage. That means Boston's supposed to be favored by one and a half. They're not. They're catching one. Well, let's dig into this game. Are there situations that favor Cleveland? No. The situations favor Boston. They're the team off back-to-back blowout losses, putting them in the ideal. We spoke about it earlier. The zig-zig-zag, or what I like to call the zag-nut 
situation, the nut situation to bet on. Is Boston struggling at home in the playoffs? No. They're 9-0 and straight up. They're 9-0 and against the spread. Youth will be served. Boston wins the game. Wrong team is favored. Let's do it. I certainly would bet Boston if I had to. But here's my dilemma. A dilemma is two situations. A conundrum is more than two. Did you know that, Professor? No. At least you're That's minute. why they call me the professor. Because you don't know yes. things. <laughs> <laughs> Those that don't know teach, so. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Is <laughs> the Here's the two things that are keeping me. One thing makes me want to bet game five. One makes me want to bet game seven, assuming there is a game seven. What makes me want to bet game five is I think LeBron, it's good. LeBron can't have a must win game every game. He can't go into Hulk Hogan finger waving mode every game. So, because there's a fatigue factor. So, part of me wants to go against him in game seven. And we've seen him when obviously last year, year before, even back to the Spurs series, they lost. He gets tired when he's really pressed. I don't mean pressed full court, but where he's got to step up for the team to win. He gets tired come game six and seven. I'm not sure who wouldn't. I think anyone does. That's why usually a one-man team can't win the title. Well, he went seven games in the first round. I get there was a sweep against Toronto. But I got a feeling that in game seven, LeBron's more tired than game five. And I think LeBron's fatigue is a saving grace we have. Now, the flip side is... I think in game seven, he's gonna uh, he's not going to hold anything back. And maybe in game five, he knows, hey, I got to try really hard, but maybe I can go 90% for a while. But if he goes 90, maybe the game gets away from him. So on one hand, in game five, we aren't certain we're going to get 100% LeBron, but we're going to get a, a better rested LeBron. In game seven, he's less well rested, but we're 100% certain that he's going to be 100% focused. So what's the balancing act for you? Fez, maybe the answer is about both, but would any sense there? I think they do balance pretty much out. I, I, I will say this in terms of player props. Game 7, I'm betting LeBron over 33 points because he's going to hulk up and absolutely take <laughs> over if it does go to Game 7. You know, you mentioned LeBron. I'm worried about Kevin Love starting to show a little wear and tear. 4 for 12 and 3 for 12 his last two games all these role players, the Kyle Corvers of the world, George Hill, are playing much better than expected. And quietly, Kevin Love is starting to disappear. All right. Fezzik's best bet. Boston game five. Last topic, guys. Let's a little bit of a recap of the first week of legalization. Mr. Professor Nova, we didn't get your feedback. Give us your number one takeaway from the legalization. Well, it's going to be... Uh... Uh, far more scrutiny now on these these games and if you have some bs type stuff you know uh, especially in the nfl which is so super high profile uh you know i just wonder how that's going to play out you know we see how some of these nba games and um I, I joke that um especially in these point spread ranges of six seven eight points that uh, you should have an option where you don't have to watch the final two minutes you know, you just find out if you won or lost because these are just heartbreaking, especially when you lose these things. They're all right on the number there. And and sometimes you get these real BS occurrences like what happened with that game one of the um, 
Rockets and the Warriors, where the, the it was right on the total. And uh, if there's no more scoring in the final 19 seconds, then the, the total goes under. And Golden State had the ball in the lead, double digits. They're, they're not even looking to shoot. And Houston, I don't know, maybe out of frustration, uh, does like a, what a college team might do, uh, go foul when it has absolutely nothing to do and they're not even trying to score. A really amateurish thing, and that puts it on the over, you know, if, Something like that, uh, well, it can't happen because of the different sports, but a similar type of occurrence uh, football-wise, you know, I, I think it's really going to cause a lot of controversy and things. So you're saying like Twitter chatter and such that when there's... Uh, did that player have a bet on the game? Like, Why did he go foul? You know, So like the example uh, of like Florida State uh, in the NCAA tournament, right? There was a situation, Brad, at the end, uh, foul enough. I, th- I don't think they fouled. They didn't foul. Yeah. No. So, yeah, yeah. But if anything, though, the fact that, uh, to me, the fact that everyone knows there's going to be more scrutiny means there's less of a chance that there is going to be any kind of corruption, which is kind of my basic premise. I feel like that if someone wanted, here's the thing that people don't get about when I, well, most people get it, but I've been pounding my fist up and down the radio dial on TV about the more regulation there is, the better chance there is to get caught if you're doing something corrupt. That acts as a deterrent, thus less chance of corruption. The only counter to that would be, yeah, but there's more betting. But think of how absurd that is. Someone who would be willing to break the law with a felony to fix a game or point shave a game is going to not do it because they'd have to bet illegally. (laughs) Now that there's legal betting, I can finally go down and, and point shave and commit a felony. Well, I, I don't think it'll be a problem with the pros. I mean, God, these guys make so much money, you know, but then yeah. again, the college guys, you never know. It's uh, Well, for sure, with college, there's yeah. a lot of shenanigans. Yeah. But what I'm saying is the increased betting won't increase the amount of point shaving. Now, you could make a, a very obscure case that e- more liquidity because of recreational betting Let's fix game betting, get lost in the shuffle a little more. And that's a very advanced concept we could discuss sometime, maybe. But for the most part, I think those who would fix a game are going to fix a game. Uh, legalization is not going to cause them to fix the game. And thus, the the marginal difference here, the addition to this equation, is there's just more scrutiny. Totally agree. Which means there's less chance for uh, or at least a better chance to get caught, which means it's a deterrent. My last observation, and I'll be honest, I'm a pessimist about society in general. I just think, hey, people are generally very self-interested and those that have power usually going to take care of themselves. And I think that's been the case time immemorial, as they say. Uh, and no reason to think it's going to change now. But from what I've seen, and you, anyone can step up, is boy, the states are saying this is our pie, bitch, and the NFL is used to getting their way. Not gonna get it. But remember, remember, is it's all relative, right? The NFL is usually the big boy when they're dealing with ESPN or whatever. Though it's kind of funny with Disney, but that ESPN needs them so much. But they're not the big boy when they're dealing with New York State or whatever. And to me, it, it, it's an example. I think, or at least not an example, but it's encouraging that I think one state, I can't remember which one it was, was they're saying, oh, maybe they're going to get a quarter percent in. And if they get a quarter percent in, I don't think that's a problem. Because 
you might say, well, why not save that quarter percent for the states or pass it on to the player? That's going to help the leagues at least be supportive. So I think buy them off in a way with a quarter percent, I'm fine with. But the idea that one percent, it seems like the big states or the states have big footed the NFL. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. And I think that's a very good thing. All right, boys, remember for a full 90 minutes of talk about legalization, if you haven't seen or listened to it yet, me and Maddie Holt. A expert, an expert's booked like a billion dollars in his life here in Nevada and an integrity guru. We did a podcast last week that's in the feed. Also this week, don't bet on it is back because there's no triple crown race. So Friday a.m. expect that the hottest takes of the week doused with cold cash. And by the way, just go to any podcast player, search for RJ Bell, subscribe and you get every podcast immediately. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.